Robert. אוקיי. יופי. מעולה. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, welcome uh, this morning to the second session of Cyber Talks. Um, this morning I have the uh, privilege and, and uh, pleasure to have with us uh, uh, Mr. Esti Pashin, uh, Vice President and General Manager uh, of the Cyber Division at Israel Aerospace Industry at Israel. Uh, my name is Tal Pavel, I'm uh, uh, the host, although uh, Ms. Pesci now have the host of uh, this session on the Zoom. Um, the lecture of uh, Ms. Pesci will be about cybersecurity challenges in the COVID-19 era. Um, I know that it will be mostly interesting, uh, of course relevant. So uh, uh, thank you all the attendees that uh, gathered here and arrived to uh, uh, take part in this uh, uh, session. Thank you, Ms. Pashin, to uh, uh, spend your time with us uh, in this uh, session of CyberTalk number uh, two, security um, strategy in the COVID-19 era. Um, let's roll it. Perfect, thank you very much uh, uh, for this uh, great opportunity. It's an amazing platform uh, that you built and uh, uh, we appreciate it very much. We appreciate the audience. So hello everyone. Uh, as, uh, as mentioned, my name is Esti Peshin, uh, Vice President and General Manager of the Cyber Division of IAI, Israel Aerospace Industries, uh, calling in uh, from Ashdod, Israel. Uh, still under lockdown, hopefully uh, not for a very long time uh, looking forward. And today I'm going to speak a little bit about cybersecurity uh, strategy in the COVID-19 era. So first and foremost, I'm sure that uh, many of you uh, would uh, agree that there has been a host of cyber events, cyber attacks throughout the past few years. These attacks are increasing in their complexity uh, the targets are becoming more and more, uh, I would say, critical in, in terms of critical infrastructure, governments, etc. Excuse, excuse me, just uh, uh, um, press on the presentation mode because we see it under the... Um, really? Uh, yes. No, it's not in presentation mode. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, oh, that's strange. And yes, that's one. Uh, again, I, I'm pressing on the presentation mode and then you don't see it, oh. right? No, no, we see, we see it. Everything is fine. We see it. Perfect. So now you can see it in presentation mode, right? Indeed, indeed. Everything is fine. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Continuing. So... Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Uh, perfect. So these attacks have been increasing in their complexity and the targets are becoming more and more critical and the results are becoming more pronounced. More data is being stolen. And severe attacks are causing disruption and so on and so forth. I can speak about each and every one of these attacks for half an hour at least per attack, but I won't do that. I will try, however, to look at the strategic threats that cyber puts before us today. So first and foremost, we see more and more state and superpower involvement in cyberspace. Cyber is becoming a domain where conflicts are fought or where conflicts are, um, I would say, is, uh, conflicts are enhanced. 
uh, we're seeing more and more cybercrime, even in countries where the crime level is relatively low. We're seeing increased cyber attacks on critical infrastructures. Critical infrastructures are infrastructures that pertain to our livelihood, pertain to our ability to operate safely and security within our nation state. We're seeing large scale industrial espionage. I actually tend to say that no IP, no intellectual property today that is kept online is safe from industrial espionage. We see CNI. CNI, a computer network influence attacks, are influencing disinformation campaigns that are targeting our minds. They are trying to undermine the very essence of democracy in a sense that they influence our decision-making process. They influence uh, the way we conduct uh, our business as citizens in democratic countries. And this is actually huge because it, it creates movements and uh, trends that may influence the outcome of elections, for example. And finally, there is a proliferation uh, of uh, available malware online. So if you are an attacker and you want to gain access to malware, it's not very, very difficult. This is something that is readily available. And today the malwares, uh, the uh, hackers are using this malware uh, pretty effectively. So looking at the strategic trends, we are seeing today four strategic trends. Number one, the weaponization of the cyber domain. So I mentioned the uh, state and superpower involvement. Uh, the uh, nation states are considering cyberspace as a battlefront, as an area in which they can exert power. And this is actually extremely important because on one hand, nation states perceive cyberspace as a battlefront, but on the other hand, our children are using it. So this creates sort of a dissonance that we need to address. The main challenge in cybersecurity is still the lack of attribution and accountability. And I'm, I'm, go I'm going to give a little example here because understanding this element is, is crucial in order to understand the domain. So let's say I, wa I, want, to attack, uh, I want to attack Mr. Tal in a, a, um, just out of spite. So, so I'm going to send some attack bites uh, towards him. But I'm going to be smart about it, and I'm going to route my attacks uh, through country A and country B and country C. So Tal is attacked, and, and he now wants to uh, retaliate. He wants to uh, uh, attack me back. So he goes and asks country C and says, hey, country C, who attacked me? So country C says, country B. And then he goes to country B and says, hey, who attacked me? And country B says, we don't divulge this information. And I'm safe. I attacked him. And he can't retaliate because he doesn't know that it's me. He may suspect that it's me, but he doesn't know it for a fact. And this is what we refer today as the proxy challenge or the attribution challenge in cybersecurity, still the most pronounced challenge. The fact that since we cannot always attribute an attack to an attacker, we cannot retaliate safely because we don't know against who we need to retaliate. And this reduces the deterrence level in cyberspace. Then there's the widening skills gap. Right? There are more and more cyber attackers, not enough cyber defenders. So this is a, something that a, a, is, is constantly growing and creating a situation where overall global cyberspace is less secure. So it's sort of like an arms race, but there are not enough defenders to protect against all the attacks. On the other hand, this is also a huge opportunity because nation states that invest in creating cyber academies, in generating cyber experts, can actually move the needle on their GDP. 
And by the way, many countries are doing that today together with IAI. And finally, the bad guys are eyeing new technologies. They're actually very, very quick on the uptake in terms of new technologies. So they're eyeing cloud and they're eyeing IoT and they're eyeing 3G, and they're moving ahead very quickly while we are a bit less quick on our feet in terms of the defensive solutions. So when we are looking at critical infrastructures, uh, we see today six, I would say, key threats. First and foremost, there's the IT and OT connection. The IT is usually the administrative network. The OT is usually the operational network, the one that actually does the business of the critical infrastructure. And these networks are connected. So many critical infrastructures around the world have told us, hey, there's no connection between our networks. But you know, when you come down and you examine the actual wiring and the actual routing in the routers and switches, and you see that there always is a connection. And this means that OT networks can be penetrated. Today, we are seeing more and more end-of-life systems in critical infrastructure. These systems they have been operational for many years, but today there is less and less investment in securing these systems, so they are an inherent vulnerability. Software updates are crucial to keep our system up to date, to patch our system, but they are also an effective route for inserting malware into the system. Supply chain is king in terms of a, a cybersecurity. So we are using servers, we are using software from external third-party vendors. If these vendors have been attacked, then this attack is residing on the hardware or software that we are using, our system can be attacked. No good solution for supply chain as of today. Physical threats are always, are always prominent. Uh, if someone has a physical access to the network, he can actually disrupt it, he can steal data. Gaining physical access is not very easy when we're talking about critical infrastructures. You need to bypass the fence. You need to get into the organization in most cases, even in the remote locations. So a lot of these physical threats are based on a, a utilizing a, a people within the organization, whether knowingly or unknowingly. So the human factor is always king. And finally, remote access. Today, more and more vendors of critical infrastructure um, devices and networks require remote access to continue to monitor these uh, uh, devices um, or elements, for example, turbines and power plants. And this remote access basically connects the turbine, for example, to the vendor's uh, site. So the vendor is able to health monitor it. But again, this is a connection, and connections are inherently insecure. So they can allow for an attack through this uh, uh, vendor's uh, site. <laughs> OK, let's talk a little bit about 5G. 5G is here. 5G is here and is here to stay. 5G provides us with a lot of benefits. Number one, it's faster. It's faster. It's going to provide us higher bandwidth, lower latency. We will need less energy to utilize it. This is actually a very, very important point because uh, uh, the uh, green trend or the uh, energy conservation trend is going to drive 5G very, very quickly towards implementation. It's more reliable and it supports more devices. But 5G <laughs> includes also a, a lot of inherent cybersecurity threats. So 5G basically is based on a scenario where things can talk to things. So remember IoT? So in IoT, you have a, a, a central uh, network. 
that is managing things. Things can be cars, things can be routers, things can be my refrigerator. This is essentially IoT. So when we're talking about 5G, things can talk to things. So if I have a network of refrigerators around Israel, then they can talk to each other through a, through a central node, but they can also talk to each other just by proxy, one to the other one. So my refrigerator, my refrigerator can talk to the refrigerator of my neighbor next door, and they can coordinate meals so that I will be happy when I return home, and so will be my neighbor. Now, this decentralized security is inherently a, a cybersecurity challenge because it means that you don't only need to protect the network through a central uh, node, but you need to protect every element of the network that can influence every other element of the network. So this is the decentralized security issue, and it's a, a huge challenge. We spoke about bandwidth as a, a huge advantage of 5G, but it is also a huge, I would say, a, a huge advantage, in, a, a huge uh, disadvantage in terms of uh, cybersecurity because uh, the assumption is that the bandwidth uh, will overload the current security tools. So cybersecurity will have to change a paradigm, will have to evolve in order to address 5C. 5G. Then we have the IoT devices, the things. Things don't have built-in security in most cases. If they don't, this actually means that they will need to have built-in security because otherwise each thing or each IoT device within the network can influence uh, other devices and can uh, pose a threat to other devices. There is lack of inherent en encryption in, in 5G. I'm sure that this will be rectified along the way, but currently this is an issue. And 5G uh, networks, uh, including many, many things or IoT devices, can be utilized for massive botnet attacks. So we're expecting an increase in botnet attacks and DDoS attacks. So just by way of example, let's speak about autonomous cars. So one of the things that 5G will enable is, a, I would say, a major, major upgrade to the autonomous cars. Why? Because things will be able to talk to things. So cars will be able to talk to cars in their proximity and improve their situational awareness. This would be excellent, and hopefully uh, I will soon be driving an autonomous car, just you know, reading emails on my way to work. But on the other side of the coin, this will pose a huge cybersecurity threat because my car will not be influenced only from the network, but also from the cars next to me. And a malicious car may be able to attack my car. So the bottom line is that uh, we will need to have a paradigm change in order to support 5G. Let's talk a little bit about the coronavirus. So, you know, when we were preparing for this presentation, Tal and I spoke a little bit about uh, the fact that he has been working from home for seven months. Uh, I've been working from home a little bit less. Uh, we are considered a critical infrastructure in IAI, so we're working from the office. You can see I'm now in my office. But uh, working from home has become a huge trend, and the coronavirus is changing the way we do business. So there's large-scale adoption of work-from-home technologies. Many of us have our home office. Last week, we were uh, out uh, on vacation, all of us, and I've been working only from home. So I have all the facilities there as well. 
we're seeing heightened activities on customer-facing networks, greater use of online services, just by way of example, this video conference that we are using now, and a more and more use of personal devices and email. So the same computer that is used in the morning by a certain person for communicating to his office and writing emails and maybe writing a document or two can be used also by his children for an online Zoom schooling session or later by his children for an online gaming session. So our, our working environment is not sterilized anymore. And we are using also our home, our home network. We're using also our home network for connecting to our offices. And again, this is a, this is a challenge because you know my home Wi-Fi network is not as secure as my office network. Now, many Wi-Fi networks are using mundane passwords. I'm sure that all of you know that one of the most um, one of the most common passwords today in the world is uh, the very elusive password, password. Today it's the third most common one in the world. And this, is a, a, this means that inherently a, the Wi-Fi networks that we are using from home are not as secure. In Israel, uh, most of the Wi-Fi networks uh, have a very unique password, the phone number of the user. And I, I was amazed to note uh, a few weeks ago uh, uh, when my mother was having a little bit of trouble with her Wi-Fi network and she was contacting the service provider and they told her, well, you probably don't remember your password. Just so she said, yeah, I, I, I probably forgot it. They said, okay, let's switch it to a password that you will always remember. And they changed it to her phone number. Obviously I changed it back uh, a few minutes later, but not every mother is privileged to have uh, a the uh, general manager of the cyber division of IAI has her daughter. So anyway, uh, sure. Yeah, excuse me, but can you can you mute everyone, please? Uh, because you are not, you are the host. Can you please mute? Okay, I'm pretty sure I can find a way to do that. Um, uh, mute, 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 mute. Yeah. Uh, mute. Okay. And did I mute everyone? I hope so. Okay. Let's 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 stay like this and okay. okay. Thank you. Sorry, sorry for the interruption. Sure. So the bad guys are aware of these opportunities and they are using this situation to their advantage. So for example, over March 2020, we have seen scams increasing by 400, 400%, okay? This is huge, scams, online scams, uh, phishing attempts. This created a situation where COVID-19 is the largest ever security threat. In April, Google blocked 18 million daily malware and phishing emails related to COVID-19. And I'm saying this again, 18 million on a daily basis. Okay. Between March and May, there has been an increase of 66% in visits to hackers' websites. We have also seen quite a lot of 
attacks against the healthcare infrastructure. So, for example, in July, the FBI and also other uh, security information, uh, security and law enforcement uh, organizations worldwide reported an attack that was targeting intellectual property of COVID-19 research organizations. Now, now, this is something that blows me, blows me away. So we are all facing this global pandemic. It isn't differentiating between nation states. It's a challenge for each and every country. Our economies are in havoc. We are working from home. Each and every one of us wants to return to a normal livelihood. And then someone is attacking organizations that are trying to develop a vaccine. Come on, how cynical can you get? So the bottom line is that the attackers are very, very aware of the fact that the way we do business has changed and they are utilizing this for their advantage. Let's speak a little bit about what needs to be done. So when we are talking about the uh, cybersecurity in the uh, COVID-19 era, we need to understand that in terms of nation states, they need to consider this as a national challenge. Cybersecurity in the COVID-19 era is a national challenge. And when we're talking about national grade challenges, we need national grade solutions. Now, national grade solutions comprise of five elements. Number one, state-of-the-art technology. Technology is crucial. You need very effective technology in order to combat these cybersecurity uh, risks, cybersecurity uh, cyber uh, attacks, uh, the increased activity of the hackers, and so on and so forth. Israel, by the way, is considered a, a one of the best cybersecurity technology providers around the world. We are very proud of this here in Israel. But cybersecurity technology on its own is insufficient. If you don't know how to effectively use it, well, you probably won't use it well enough. If you have a great firewall and you don't know how to configure it well, it probably won't block attacks. So methodology is extremely important. I'm, I'm going to use the word battle-proven methodology or operationally proven methodology that has effectively stopped a, a cyber attacks. Then we need constant innovation because the threats are evolving. Uh, seven months ago, who would have thought that one of our main challenges would be to protect our employees that are working from home? We have put a lot of effort into protecting our own networks, but now we need to protect employees that are outside the boundaries of the networks and connecting to the networks remotely. Security technology is evolving, the threats are evolving, uh, the environment is evolving, so our systems must evolve as well. And I'm going to use the buzzword of machine learning, but the systems must evolve in a, I would say, in an autonomous manner, in a sense, because if they wait for us to implement new and new systems every time, then we will be very, very slow on the uptake. The bad guys will win the battle. Collaboration is also important. We need to share information both on the national and on the international level. For example, if a certain organization has been attacked and it would report this attack and maybe some IOCs, indicators of compromise related to this attack, to other similar organizations, both on the national level and on the international level, other organizations will be able to mitigate a potential attack, which is great. And next time, when they are attacked, they will share information. So information sharing is extremely important. And I, and I is very, very proud uh, to be 
uh, the developer of CyberNet, which is a, a, the social network of cyber developed by INCD, the National uh, Cyber Directorate in Israel. And it is used for sharing information between organizations so they can create an ecosystem related to potential cyber attacks and mitigate the attacks in a faster manner. And finally, capacity buildup. Capacity buildup basically refers to three elements, awareness, training, and cyber hygiene. Now, awareness needs to be a, a very, very broad. Today, our children are playing online, they are learning online, they need to be aware of potential cyber threats. They need to be aware that if someone communicates to them and claims that they are the girl um, from a, a, the other class or from a, another school, it may not be that girl. It may be someone impersonating that girl. And if you see a picture online, it doesn't really mean that the person on the other side looks like that. Pictures can be faked. You can use pictures of other people. So children must be aware of, of the risks in cyberspace, but also the elderly must be aware. My mother is not very cyber savvy. If you, of course, understand cyber is very, very important because I'm the general manager of the cyber division of IAI, but she isn't really aware of what consists of a cyber threat and what doesn't consist of a cyber threat. And if she would receive an email, like many people have received, asking to update her information for the bank from a bogus email address, she probably won't notice that the email address is bogus. So she needs to be made more aware. And then we need to practice cyber hygiene. And again, everyone needs to practice cyber hygiene. My mother needs to understand that using her phone number as a password may be very convenient, but it's not very good practice. It will allow probably everyone to gain access to her Wi-Fi network and to her Wi-Fi network, to her computer and to her personal data. She better choose a more effective password. She needs to be cyber savvy. She needs to practice cyber hygiene. Again, from children to the elderly, everyone should do that. And finally, we need to train cyber experts. Cyber training is extremely important. And as I previously mentioned, the nation states that pursue this strategy it can actually move the needle on the GDP. Now, the real challenge in the COVID-19 era is maintaining a balance between cybersecurity and business continuity. So in order to continue to operate our economies in a, I would say the most effective manner possible in this era, we need people to be able to work from home. We need people to gain access to data from home. We need people to communicate with our network at home. We need to open our network. This would allow us to achieve business continuity. But there is a balance between business continuity and cybersecurity. If we open our network, we need to put in more controls to ensure that the network maintains its security and remains secure in spite of the fact that many, many, many employees and many, many, many customers are connecting to this network from the outside and from their insecure, inherently insecure home networks. We need to allow them to connect to the network from their home computer. Although we know that in the afternoon, their children are using the same computer in order to connect to online gaming sites. So creating a balance between cybersecurity and business continuity is a huge challenge. And this is what we are trying to do today in terms of helping nation states find the balance between these two elements. Now, 
a quick word about IAI. IAI Israel Aerospace Industries is one of the large defense contractors in Israel. Uh, we are very proud to be one of the largest engineering companies in Israel. And we are proud to be uh, one of the leaders of the Israeli cyber ecosystem. Uh, IAI has established two cybersecurity consortium, the Israeli Cyber Companies Consortium, that comprises today of 13 Israeli companies. Uh, some of them are uh, very large, like Checkpoint, uh, Varying, Melanox, CyberArk. Some of them are smaller ones, even startups. And together we are offering national level solutions in, in an end-to-end -end perspective, uh, allowing our customers to have a one-stop shop based on Israeli technology for all their national needs. We established also IACCC, the Israeli Aviation Cyber Companies Consortium, again, comprising of the same suspects, uh, Checkpoint, Varying, CyberArk, and again, some startups. We are very, very proud to, be, to have uh, the Israeli national airline, Elal, uh, through its uh, a venture partner, uh, through its venture arm, Cockpit, as part of IACCC, the Israeli Aviation Cyber Companies Consortium. So let's speak a little bit about what needs to be done in order to achieve cybersecurity at a national level in the COVID-19 era. So we need six pillars. Number one, awareness. And again, as I mentioned previously, awareness should be achieved in all levels. If you don't reach children, you're vulnerable. If you don't reach the elderly, you're vulnerable. It's not just having you know, ourselves as aware, the employees of our companies aware. We need everyone to be aware. We need to implement baseline security in critical infrastructures. A critical infrastructure, is a, in my definition, are any organization that the government wants to, in which the government wants to maintain business continuity, or any organization that wants to maintain business continuity on its own. Now, baseline security basically means that you need to have a structure uh, uh, of uh, best practices, uh, cybersecurity elements, including methodology, including constant innovation, that would allow your organization to fend off the majority of cyber attacks. This will not necessarily give you 100% protection. Anyone in cyber that promises 100% uh, protection doesn't really understand the domain, but it will allow the organization to fend off most of, the, uh, most of the attacks, a baseline security would require an antivirus, anti-malware, would require a firewall, uh, maybe a DLP solution if uh, IP needs to be protected, and so on and so forth. It provides the, the initial structure. We need better solutions for protecting remote work and services. Today, there are solutions out there. There was a, a, a huge upgrade over the past uh, seven months but still, uh, our feeling is that uh, the solutions for protecting remote work and services are a little bit lacking and need to be upgraded. We need predictive analytics. So I spoke about uh, the majority of the attacks, and the majority of the attacks can be fended off with baseline security. But the, uh, the APTs, the national level attacks, these attacks are subtle, they are low signal, they can't really be detected, and the best way to be able to mitigate them is to predict them, to see the indicative signals towards the attacks and to mitigate the attacks based on these indicative signals. Today, there's a growing trend of predictive analytics in cybersecurity, and this trend is, in my opinion, leading to a situation 
where the world will be safer and more cyber secure. We need to protect critical infrastructures, mainly the healthcare ecosystem. As I mentioned previously, the healthcare ecosystem was significantly attacked, still significantly attacked throughout the COVID-19 era. Again, very, very cynical, but the controls must be in place in order to ensure that patient data, hospitals, uh, medical devices are cyber secure and ca cannot be cyber attacked, I would say, easily to ensure business continuity of the, of also of the healthcare sector. And finally, we need procedures and playbooks. Attacks will happen. When they do, an organization needs to know what to do. And they need to know what to do in the context where many of the employees are working from home, where a lot of the services are online services. So the situation has changed and the procedures and playbooks must change as well. If we distill this into three elements, then we need situational awareness, allowing us at the given moment to understand whether or not our organization, our sector, or our nation state is under a cyber attack. We need advanced incidents response capabilities, the ability to mitigate an attack or to understand the consequences of an attack after it happened. And finally, information sharing. As I mentioned earlier, collaboration is one of the key pillars of cybersecurity. If we share information about cyber attacks, that attack our organization, we will probably receive similar information from other organizations and overall the ecosystem will be more secure. So we need to strike a balance between cybersecurity and business continuity and this slide basically shows how to do that. So let's speak a little bit about takeaways. Number one, we need an ecosystem solution. An ecosystem solution comprises of the entire ecosystem, not a single organization. Organization must perceive itself as part of an ecosystem, share information with the ecosystem, receive assistance from the ecosystem, and so on and so forth. We need to understand that the cyber threats are evolving, there are advanced cyber threats out there, there are built-in vulnerabilities, and in order to be able to combat them, we need number one, collaborative approach, and number two, advanced capabilities. And finally, we need to understand that we constantly need to strike a balance between cybersecurity and business continuity. With this, ladies and gentlemen, I conclude my presentation. I'm open for any questions you may have. I bid you thank you from Ashdod in Israel. Please do stay safe and healthy. And with this, I'm open to any questions you may have. I saw something on the chat. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. First of all, thank you so much, uh, uh, Esti, for this uh, very interesting uh, uh, presentation. And I have uh, a few questions. Um, there is one of uh, Eitan. Uh, can you later give an example of solutions that IAI offers to your workers? Um, would you like to ask Eitan a question or to, to elaborate it? Um, just a, my question is, you spoke about the, the challenges of uh, work for home and all of this uh, stuff. What mm -hmm. do you offer in this spectrum? Thank you. Yeah, so uh, we, we are a critical infrastructure. So uh, in, even in the severest uh, lockdowns, uh, the grand majority of our employees continue to work from, uh, from the office. Uh, we have a huge challenge in a, a sense that uh, a, lo a lot of what we're working on is classified. So uh, with classified information, we are not uh, taking, taking any chances. 
Uh, but we do have an ability to work on unclassified information uh, from home. And we have uh, upgraded uh, the infrastructure to allow to do that in, in, various, uh, in various manners. Um, some of them related to best practices and, and some of them related to uh, actual effective tools uh, uh, that, uh, we have provided, uh, that we have provided our employees. Uh, naturally, I'm, I'm not going to elaborate on that because uh, what, one of the main things that helps attackers attack your organization is if they know what security defenses uh, you have put in place. But in order to speak generally, uh, then uh, uh, I think that uh, uh, when an organization implements a work from home strategy, uh, they, they need to consider implementing together with it a cloud strategy or a digitization strategy. Uh, one of the challenges is uh, how to maintain the data. So for example, if someone is writing a document and is uh, uh, saving it on his home computer, then A, the document is less secure. Obviously, someone can gain access to this document. And B, it, it will probably not be backed up. So if there's a ransomware attack against this computer, for example, then no one will be able to gain access to this computer ever. So it's better to have the employees work on the cloud. Uh, so this is something that uh, many of our end users today uh, uh, and mo most of our customers are nation states. So that implemented at the government level or at the critical infrastructure level, a very, very rapid move towards digitization, cloud strategy, and the, the, derivative, the derivative tools. I know I haven't fully answered your question, but I trust you understand why. <laughs> Uh, thank you. Uh, there is a question of Mr. Alexandro Diaconescu, Mr. Alexandro Diaconescu, uh, thank, uh, mentioned thank you for the most instructive presentation and infos. Uh, is there any way we can download the PowerPoint presentation? I mean, uh, is it possible to, to... Well, I think uh, um, I can answer you, Mr. Diaconescu, that uh, uh, this presentation is recorded, so you will always be able to to watch it once again but uh, um, is it possible to have the pdf version of this uh, presentation miss Pershing? yes of course uh, you, you okay. will be able to share it to your website yeah okay uh thank you okay so so yeah first of all mr jacanesco uh, uh you have uh, you will have a record recording of this uh, 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 lecture, and second, uh, you will have uh, the ability to, to uh, see the PDF of this presentation. Um, do we have any more questions? Any more questions? Well, I have yes, few... Yes, sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah I have a question, Esti. Hi, thank you. I was wondering about mobile, um, security and what your like strategy is on mobile security in this age like do you allow your employees to connect to the internet for work or what's the mobile strategy at IAI? Yeah, so uh, mobile uh, or, or these devices you probably see my mobile phone well there are computers today uh, you, you you can't really uh, differentiate between a computer and a mobile phone uh, or, in, uh, or a tablet. So when you consider work from home uh, strategy or a remote strategy, you need to take into account the, the devices themselves through which your employee or uh, your customer will gain access to the network 
can be either his own computer, his mobile phone, or his tablet. You know, I'm finding myself uh, uh, using computers less and less. Uh, I, I find that the mobile phone is sufficient for me to do mostly everything. So uh, we tend to consider uh, all types of endpoints as, as similar endpoints. I mean, as access points into the network, and, and then we are considering the security as a whole. Obviously, the information that is retained on uh, mobile phones is slightly different than information that is retained on uh, computers, but when, when you look at it from a network point of view, then uh, uh, there are endpoints, and as such, you need a security that, uh, uh, protects, uh, that protects everything. Again, I am not going to elaborate on exactly what we do for uh, the obvious reasons. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you. Um, do you have any more questions, please? Feel free to ask any question. Yeah, uh, feel free also to, uh, to engage uh, through uh, other means. Uh, subsequently, if something comes up, uh, I'm available on LinkedIn. I'm not available on Facebook, but uh, please feel free to reach out and ask whatever you want. I'm, I'm happy to continue the dialogue in, in any platform. Yes, you know, I have, I have uh, one question and one remark. Um, you mentioned at the beginning of your presentation uh, the attribution problem and no doubt that over the years is the most crucial one and i wonder um is it a solved one can we solve the attribution problem maybe because as you mentioned it's not only the attribution it's um, um derived from it all kinds of questions like uh, how do you retaliate uh, they understand who is your enemy, what all the five W's questions. And, and I wonder, can we solve it? Do we uh, see the end of uh, um, this attribution problem? Yeah, so, uh, so I, I, I'm going to give my opinion. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, it's a... Uh, it's, it's today uh, maybe the common opinion, but in my opinion, the answer is yes. It, it's also not, not very difficult to, to solve attribution at the global level. All you need to do is to attach to every bit information about where it came from. Once you do that, you solve attribution and you basically, cyberspace becomes significantly more secure. Now, I, I, I'm not, you don't need to divulge any data. You just need to say where it came from, country, IP, but the, the original location, and, and yes, it's possible, but it requires a global understanding. Now, lo and behold, this has been done in the past. Air traffic control is a very similar paradigm in the past. Many, many planes in there, not always identified. You couldn't understand which are bogus planes, which are friendly planes. I'm not speaking about the military context. I'm speaking about the civilian context. Today, each plane has to have a transponder. It has to identify itself. We have air traffic control that regulates the traffic of the planes. So we have a safer airspace. And yes, it can be done also in cyberspace, but it requires nation states to come together and to agree 
on a standard for identifying packets, for identifying bits. There's a lot of discussions on this throughout the years. It started in 2011 and it's progressing. And I believe that in a few years, maybe five, maybe 10, there will be a standard that will create a situation where most of the attribution challenge is solved. And the reason we need it is because today our children are more online than offline. So we need to protect them. We need to have sort of like rules of engagement in cyberspace so they will be able to operate in a safe and secure environment. But this is, you know, just my opinion. I assume that uh, if you would have asked 10 people the same question, uh, 10 people that are part of the industry the same question, you would have received maybe seven or eight uh, uh, different, uh, uh, different answers. No problem. No, no doubt. Pardon. Uh, I think one of the problem is that, you know, airplane is something uh, official that have uh, obligations and uh, 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 kind of uh, uh, rules that uh, need to, to operate uh, uh, under those uh, uh, regulations and uh, uh, to have um, um, a digital citizen that can attack someone uh, you need uh, no obligations, uh, you commit no rules, uh, you are under no rules. Uh, so so uh, it, it may be problematic, uh, but um, yeah, no I doubt agree. that, pardon? I agree. It's yeah. difficult, but it's something that we need to do eventually. Yeah, I want, you know, you've mentioned uh, in, in slide number nine and number 12, uh, our measures to protect ourselves and, and uh, uh, at the uh, local, at the private, at the level of corporate. And it always reminds me that, um, and I saw a, a, in your slides a reflection toward um, um, what is called the Macamba Cube. Okay. And <clears throat> um, with your permission, I would like to, 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 to share it. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Can you can you give me please? The... I need I need to give you back the whole thing. Yeah, I think so. Okay. First, I'll stop share. Oh uh, yeah. I just want. Let's see if I can. Host disabled. <laughs> yeah, but I should be the host now. Yes, you are. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the host. Yeah. <clears throat> you you can see the screen. I can see it. Yeah, great. Um, so this is the Macamba uh, cube that uh, was invented in 1991. I think it was an uh, uh, officer, the US Air Force, and it's uh, used in uh, 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 information security and I uh, uh, teach it to my student. It's an amazing cube because it's gathered all the uh, basic information, information security and, and it's like a Rubik's cube with three dimension. And of course we have the confidentiality, integrity and availability that it is the goal and the essential and the basic information security. And there is the access of storage processing and transmission that this is the information state. I mean, you need to protect the confidentiality, integrity and availability of the information, no matter what is the storage, um, what is the information state, whether it's stored, processing or in middle of transmission. 
But what is very interesting is the safeguarding on control, and that's what you've mentioned in several slides, and I saw reflections uh, of those uh, features of this, this cube in what you say, the awareness, training and education, uh, uh, policy and, and, and technology, which means three features, awareness, and awareness, and you mentioned it's, it's the, the human factor, the empowering the human factor, B, policy and practice, and three, it's technology. And, and one of the obstacles, I think, I think that when we think about uh, information security, first of all, we think about technology. And no, as you've mentioned, and as we can see here, information, information, information security, yes, it's technology, but it's also awareness of the human factor, our digital citizen, as you said about uh, uh, um, we, all of us, even your mother, that uh, regarding the passwords uh, and policy and practice and methodology and so on and so forth. Um, that's it. And, and it was amazing, uh, uh, you know, to see all your uh, uh, guidelines uh, that are uh, reflecting here. Uh, so thank you. Uh, do we have uh, any more questions? Uh, I'll stop the share. I'll stop the show. Yeah. Uh, do we have any more questions? Um, I have another one, please, about the COVID-19. You said that we saw uh, involvement of uh, uh, nation state actors. <clears throat> I, I wonder, can you summarize some of the features of, of uh, those attacks? Um, whether there are more uh, cyber criminal motives or uh, nation state uh, activities in order to steal information regarding um, uh, vaccines and, and research. Uh, can you just uh, uh, mention a few features of, uh, of these uh, attacks? Yeah, so first, uh, uh, there are two unrelated issues. Uh, uh, Issue number one is we are seeing more and more state and superpower involvement in cyber attacks. Number two, we are seeing an increased uh, level of attack in the COVID-19 era. Uh, since we have the attribution challenge, then we can't say for a fact if we are seeing more and more nation state level attacks in the COVID-19 era. I assume that the answer is yes, but I don't know this for a fact. Now, the, the media and the, you know, we, we, we all uh, are, uh, we all digest media on a, on a daily basis. So the media claims that there are na national level attacks or nation state attacks in the COVID-19 era, but, but I don't have any proof that this is the case. In terms of the type of attacks that we are seeing today, and, and I, we are seeing five types of attacks. Number one, we are seeing more and more phishing and scamming attacks. Now, these ones are, in my opinion, extremely cynical because I, I think each and every one of us has a heightened level of, of fear and anxiety due to the COVID-19. And the bad guys are targeting this. So at the beginning of the pandemic, there were a lot of scam emails that uh, allowed you to uh, 
to receive information about the pandemic, to check your symptoms, um, and so on and so forth. And, and people tended to apply these links, to press the links, because we were starving for information about the pandemic. So everything that seemed reliable, we would read it. And, and this is something, in my opinion, that is uh, extremely cynical. So we see an increase in the number of, uh, of uh, phishing attempts. And, and just to give you a little statistic on that, just in the UK alone, as of July 2020, this is four months into the pandemic, uh, there were more than 11 million pounds lost due to scam attacks. An amazing figure, four months, a four months, an amazing figure. Okay, so this is number one. Number two, we are seeing increased cybercrime. So the bad guys understand that we are vulnerable and they are targeting us. They are targeting us and they are utilizing cyberspace in order to attack us, to gain access to our bank accounts, more and more ransomware attacks, and so on and so forth. I spoke a lot about uh, attacks against the healthcare system. So we are seeing more and more of those. We are seeing attacks against remote systems or remote facilities. Just to give you an example, uh, during uh, the four, first four months of the pandemic, against the, again, these figures are as of July, we have seen a half a million Zoom accounts compromised and sold over the dark web. Again, an amazing figure. Half a million accounts sold over the dark web. So targeting the remote services that are becoming our livelihood. I, I'm sure that uh, you and, uh, and uh, our audience recalls it, at least in Israel, we were not allowed, we're still not allowed to see uh, the elderly. Okay, we need to keep our social distance from them. So the best way of communicating with them is through video conferencing. So each and every one of us had a huge challenge teaching our grandparents how to use Zoom or how to use a, a, any other video conferencing uh, system. A, at least in my case, it was a huge challenge because I had to teach it remotely. Okay, I couldn't come and say, okay, first this person, I said, we had to work with several mobile phones where I saw the screen and I saw it. Anyway, we managed to overcome that. But now these services are being targeted by hackers. And then the final one, and this is actually quite surprising, is vishing attacks. Vishing with V, a voice phishing attacks. So these are ones, you, you, you can claim that they're not really cyber. I tend to say that everything is cyber today. So these are calls through regular phones or through mobile phones. Uh, someone usually elderly receive a call uh, saying, hey, I'm speaking from uh, this uh, health facility. I'm speaking from your bank. Can you please provide me your credit card number? And they're providing it. So vishing attacks or phone scam attacks have increased as well. So these are the characteristics of the attacks that we're seeing today in the pandemic. Long answer for short question, but I hope it was informative. Of course, of course, a lot of insight. So thank you very much for for your time having with us. Thank you for all the insights and and information and knowledge that you shared with us. It was my privilege to host you. 
thank you so much. Uh, and uh, I wish all of you, uh, USD and uh, all the attendees, uh, uh, all the health and the wealth and, and stay safe. Uh, and uh, see you in the next uh, session of uh, Cyber Talk, Cyber Talk number three. Thank you all. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye from bye -bye. Israel. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you You're for welcome. everything.